Happy Sunday. Chris Pleckable here, lead pastor at Wells Branch Community Church. I am so glad that you are here and uh, you are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend with us. And um, as you're out, you know, barbecuing or as you're out experiencing greenbelts or maybe you're even at the beach or whatever, especially in uh, this odd time, uh, I want you to take a moment and just remember uh, Today, or rather tomorrow, is, is Memorial Day, and uh, for me personally, this is very poignant and powerful. Uh, I lost six men under my command in combat, and uh, this was Sergeant Gary Vallant, this was uh, PFC Joshua Tickum, this is Private James Prevett, this is Lieutenant Luke Wallenwaver, this is Sergeant uh, Thor Ingraham, and Specialist Mark Mesmer, that, who all died in combat uh, when I was leading them, and that for me was very challenging and powerful, and so... I know many of you have lost uh, people uh, in combat or maybe through corona. And so I, I would like for you to, at this moment, uh, in the chat box underneath uh, the message on whatever social media platform that you're watching, would you take a moment and just write the names of those who have fallen in combat, or even if they're a first responder uh, or a healthcare worker who has uh, passed during this time of conflict with an enemy, that we can't see. Would you mind remembering and honoring them so we can properly take a moment? In fact, let's just pray and just ask God to just uh, help our hearts heal as we take a moment to remember those who have fallen. God, thank you for those who've given their lives uh, for you and for your purposes. Ultimately, God, I pray that you uh, would heal people in their hearts uh, as they have uh, given their lives in a coronavirus conflict or, God, if they've given their life in a combat uh, world. God, I just pray that you would heal, that you would do great work, and we honor and remember those who have gone before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, one of the things that I do love to do here is uh, I love questions, and we're going to have lots of questions when it comes uh, specifically about this message. And uh, we're going to touch on things, especially about conflict and combat and all that. And uh, if you have a question, text the number on the screen here. Uh, we'll keep that number up uh, for the rest of the morning. So one of the things that I, uh, I know this sounds bizarre, um, but I loved combat, like the actual being there. In the midst. And it wasn't like I was like a bloodthirsty person looking to kill people. That, that, that wasn't at all. There was this, I don't know how to put it. There was a sense of camaraderie. There was a sense of connection with brothers in arms. We were partnered um, with a purpose, which was to keep people alive. And it wasn't necessarily that we were all about, like, uh, America, which we were, but even greater than that, it was more about the relationships and the friendships of the guy to my left and to my right. And that became powerful. And as we'd leave the wire, every, before we went out into sector, you put on a neck gaiter, and that would protect you from the sand, and you'd cover your nose and your mouth. And you put on goggles, and that would protect you from the sand as well. And then you put on a helmet and a flak vest, and that would protect you from bullets. Because the reality was that shrapnel and shards and destruction was all over the place, and you had to have the proper PPE. Uh, and, but the thing that made it such a special thing that was crazy, in fact, I remember thinking to myself, I could live like this forever. No, really. I was like, I don't ever want to leave. And I think there's a part of us, uh, some warriors out there that still wish they were back in combat. I remember thinking, if I could somehow get a wife and children to live in this little eight by eight little room, and I, I guess they'd just sit here and homeschool all day or something, while I go out into sector and battle the enemy, that would be pretty much ideal. 
I was pretty excited about that thought. Now, it's unrealistic and insane a little bit. But there's something about that connection, partnership and purpose that brought me great joy. And um, I, listen, during this time, I think that we are not having great joy. A lot of us are really struggling because we've um, been shackled to our circumstances. And so we don't have joy and difficulty because, watch this, we don't know how to partner. In other words, we don't know what it is uh, to have a person that we're connected with come hell or high water. And so I feel like that's the part that I want us to learn about this morning. Uh, Second, we don't know uh, how to have a purpose. Again, um, when the war ends and you come home and there is no more battles to fight or that's no longer your fight, it, it almost can make you feel into sense of despair. And no matter what purpose it is, maybe you're in a great purpose working in a great company, but if that company ends or that thing terminates or you move on, eventually all of it will. And so it can be really hard and difficult to sort of lose your purpose. And I want to talk about one that will never end. And then finally, uh, we don't know how to love. We've never seen it. We haven't been taught it. We wouldn't know what it looked like if it jumped on our face and started whapping around because there is something that happened because the families we grew up in, we don't know what it means to really give yourself to another. We always sort of pull back some reserve. We don't know when you're actually going to leave, so I can't fully love you. And that is a problem that we've sort of all experienced in some form or another because a lot of us come from broken family situations. All right. So this morning, I really want us to get into Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to go all through the book of Philippians in this uh, series called Joy Unshackled. And so if you want to jump in with me, uh, we're going to be in Philippians 1. If you have one of the Bibles you borrowed from us, it's on page 980. If not, you can use anything online. We'd love for you to read God's Word along with us, and we'll also put it on the screen. But as we open up God's Word to figure out how we can have joy unshackled to circumstance, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for being in complete control, that you are doing something very powerful and very good, and I seek you, God, in this moment, that you would open up your word, that we may be able to respond, that we'd have a, be partnered with a people that would be just incredible. There'd be this sense of a purpose that's so powerful, and God, that we would know how to love you and love one another because of what you teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, here we go. We are in Philippians chapter 1. This is Paul writing. He's with his buddy Timothy. And it says this, Paul, uh, Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, Philippi is a uh, city on, in, on the Greek peninsula. And uh, Acts 16 tells the story about how Paul starts the church there. He is looking to go to Greece. He's looking to to plant churches. Acts 16 shows up. Paul comes to a place of prayer, and there's a bunch of women there. And Paul, not being one to discriminate between men or women, he starts sharing the gospel. And a woman there, her name is Lydia. And she's from Thyatira, prominent city, prominent person. And she's a dealer of purple. Now, purple wasn't like a drug like you, where you mix like, you know, heroin and Tylenol and you get cheese or something. It was different. Uh, it was actually just dye, purple dye. And whenever you wanted your clothes to be, have a royal look or you wanted to look like you were expensive or a wealthy person, you go see the purple dealer and she'd transform your garment from common to regal. And that's what her job was. She was an aristocratic person, a businesswoman, which is sort of unthinkable that that person would be in 
in the Bible, especially in a culture that was patriarchal. Now, watch this. The second person that comes to faith in Christ in Philippi is um, a little girl, about 12 years old. Uh, she was a slave girl. So when you think slave girl in our modern age, you can probably have about the same sense of ownership, the same sense of abuse uh, that went into her life as you might think of modern day slavery. But one of the things that she had, she, she was demon possessed. And so she followed around Paul going like, these are servants of the most high God. These are servants of the most high God, which was true. But after you've heard that for about 30 minutes from a 12-year-old whiny voice, something you might snap. And so Paul has a moment, and then he looks at her. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And the, and the girl is released from the demonic oppression and freed, which brings all chaos down on top of Paul because the very thing that he freed her from, demon possession, also robbed her owners from making a lot of money. And so a riot breaks out. Eventually, Paul gets put in prison and he is there in jail. And um, he's putting stocks with his buddy Silas. And they start singing songs to Jesus in the middle of prison as their legs are cramping up, hooked ankle and wrist to stocks. Well, an earthquake comes and then blows up the place. And the Philippian jailer, a blue-collar guy with a security job, it wasn't like the best life, but it wasn't bad. And he could provide for his family. He looks at the fact that the, the door is knocked off its hinges, the, the hinges, the prisoners are freed. He looks to take a sword and end his life because it was your life for the life of any prisoner you let escape. And then Paul says, whoa, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all here. And when the man sort of comes to grips, realizes that these guys have something more powerful, that they could sing songs with their feet and uh, their wrists in stocks, that they had a, a power to call on God to rescue them, and that he would actually answer. He says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul leads this Philippian jailer to faith in Christ along with the rest of his household. Now, here's what's interesting. There was a prayer uh, in this time. Uh, it kind of went like this. If you were a good Jew, you'd pray something like this. God, thank you. Now, that part was awesome. The next part, not so awesome. And go, thank you for not making me a woman or a Gentile. And what was so interesting, the, the people that come to start the church in Philippi were two ladies. One, um, a prominent businesswoman. Uh, second, uh, a little slave girl. And then this Gentile Philippian blue-collar jailer. And that's how the church at Philippi starts. And it is powerful in the way that it loved, it loved Paul, and loved people with the power of the gospel. Now, look at this. So, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, you got to remember, he's in prison, and he's chained up to uh, a Roman soldier. He's got this wrapped around his wrist, and the soldiers got wrapped around his wrist, and there would be like shift change. Another guy would come in, and it wasn't exactly the greatest time ever, but at least uh, he had some friends could come and visit him as long as he was chained up uh, to uh, the Praetorian Guard, and he was under house arrest, so he couldn't actually go anywhere. Sound familiar. Chained up to being with the same people every day, and you can't leave your house. Just saying. So, uh, this might for, uh, okay, prayer, prayer of mine for y'all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. Look at this, partnership. And this word is really powerful. It, it can mean 
fates intertwine. My life, your life, the fate of our lives, the joys, the sorrows are all connected because of your partnership in the gospel. That Jesus came, that he died, that he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back from the first day until now. From the first day when Lydia met him at the prayer pool, when uh, the little slave girl met him in the market, when uh, the jailer met him after an earthquake. You see, Paul had joy in prison because he was shackled to a partner and gospel he deeply loved. Now, we understand this. I mean, I think many of you understand this with fantasy football. I'm just going to go there because there's this part of me that wants to see fantasy football come back around really soon. And I partner myself every year to guys that I don't know. And my fate is sort of linked with them, at least for a season, because bragging rights and my unbelievable ability to prognosticate uh, their skill set is seen when they perform as they should. But what inevitably happens about week five, at least for me, they start doing poorly and I look to trade them because I'm only in it when they're winning or successful or making me win it. It's a transactional relationship. Okay, fantasy, some of you are like, Chris, fantasy football, can we please talk about gaming or something more relevant? Or how about work? How about work? Like when you're at work, um, you have like a loyalty, a sense of purpose with the people that you're working alongside with, right? There's a sense of like, hey, we're in this together. But what happens when somebody leaves, it's not like you're hooking up with them all the time to find about out how they're doing, right? It, the, the, it's like proximity becomes our purpose. If you're near me, then I guess I'm going to be able to do life with you. But what's interesting about this, Paul has left the country. He's left Greece. He's now in Rome. He's in a prison. He is stuck. And they, they just can't come and visit him, but their hearts are clearly with him. Um, why is that? Only, only family would have that sort of connection, right? Uh, in fact, uh, this week um, I was talking um, to uh, a person who just came to faith in Christ. Got to lead this person to Christ. It was very exciting. And, uh, and they were like, I was explaining how, uh, about what it was to be a brother or sister in Christ. And they're like, that's, that's kind of weird. And I go, yeah, it is weird. And, and the reason why it's weird is because when I say you're my brother or I say you are my sister, I am ascribing to you a level of intimacy that you didn't necessarily sign up for. You weren't looking for a brother or a sister. And here I am claiming such intimate things. And that means there's like a claim on your life, a claim on your time, a claim on like who you are. And that is like, that's where, you know, when you start talking about Brother Chris and uh, Sister Marie and Sister Adrian and Sister, uh, you know, Henrietta and Brother Bob, things get a little bit like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to go there with you. Unless you understand what the gospel's about. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, those are the facts that Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the dead. Those are the facts that, that we base our whole faith on. But when we believe, the Holy Spirit comes to us and we're born again, born into the family of God, where God becomes our Father. And so if God is my Father and if God is your Father, then that makes us brother and sister or brother and brother. And here's what's really neat about that. Um, it's more real than the family that you have here because this is an eternal one that will last forever. 
And when you can wrap your head around that, that that's what we're talking about, it makes the letter more poignant and maybe even a little bit more powerful. Okay, watch, watch how he shifts, and he's going to get really intimate. Look, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Like, we are going to the same dispensary for the grace that's going to become. We're going to the same watering hole. We're going to the same food buffet where we're going to get brand new life. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So you're partakers of me with grace, both in my imprisonment. So we're coming to God in grace in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are linking arms with me kind of being one with me, and when my sorrow is your sorrow, and ultimately our purpose is one. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, this yearn is like this deep desire. Like, I need you. I want you. I have to have you in the sense of affection with Christ. This is a, like we're family. And I, I don't think you can wrap your head around that. We are family, is what Paul's saying. I yearn for you. I long for you. I miss you. Same point. Here it is. Uh, Paul had joined prison because he was shackled to a partner and gospel purpose he deeply loved. About the only thing I can uh, probably compare this to is um, when I was in the Army, um, I'd write letters home. And uh, especially in basic training, war was the same, but you had the internet and you could talk to people in real time and chat and all that. But when it was battle, when it was war, or rather when it was um, basic training and you had no phone and no access... All you could hope for was when mail call came up, they'd call your number. And I'd be hoping, waiting, every time mail call came around. And you didn't want to get your hopes too up, so you didn't want to act like you were too excited because then people would like, make fun of you for being like, oh, who are you waiting for? And it, it didn't matter who wrote. I wanted a letter. I wanted to know how they were doing. And I didn't want them to tell me how much they missed me, how sorry they were for me. I wanted to hear about what was going on in their world to take my heart and my head out of here and the pain that I was currently in. That helped. Um, I, the only thing I can probably uh, compare that to gospel purpose-wise is, um, you know, we have James as our missionary in Africa, and he and I have been friends for, whew, I guess, 12, 13 years now. And uh, we got married on the same day. Just deep friendship. Awesome buddy of mine. And um, we sent him to Africa in 2014. And what an incredible, exciting thing to partner with him as he reaches people in Africa. And I get to hear the stories about him going out to the bush and him doing evangelistic uh, pieces and then the trials of constantly being faced with him getting kicked out of the government or the government wanting to kick him out or the fact that he's in a third world country where coronavirus is just as rampant as everywhere else, but no one's shutting down anything because you're not shutting down a third world economy. You're just not doing that. And so... Um, Recently, uh, James and I are close, and so he, he texted me and said, hey, I need you to go and meet a buddy of mine uh, going through a, a rough spat in his marriage. 
And I said, yeah, no problem. So I went and met with a guy. He'd never met me before, but because of my connection with James, he'd actually gone and visited James as a non-Christian, visited James in Africa just to see what uh, his lifting buddy was up to and was blown away. His mind just couldn't wrap his head around people living in dirt huts and people living in extreme poverty. And it, something clicked and changed in him. He was open to meeting with a pastor when things got hard in his life. And so James said, please go and meet with him. I went to meet with him and got to lead him to Jesus. And that is, listen, that's over thousands of miles. Partnering in purpose with, for the gospel. Deeply loving him. Deeply loving the gospel message because that's what I live for. Anytime anyone says, hey, I got somebody you got to talk to. They need to hear about Jesus. I'm all for it. Here's what I've learned too, just in general. When you're living in purpose, like this, this is like a, you don't even have to be a gospel-centered person. When you're living in purpose, there is no amount of work that's too much. You never get tired, you're never poor, because when you are living <clears throat> in your purpose, this is like, this is what I was meant to do. You don't ever want to sleep. You don't even need to eat. You're just like so excited. And I think that is when that becomes your main thing. When that becomes your ultimate reality is serving the Lord, then not only does it not matter how much you eat or how much you sleep or how much you do, you are so excited to move gospel orientation forward because it fills you. There's this excitement about it. And then when you can partner with other people, it doesn't get any better than that. It's like my favorite thing in the world. If you're not a part of that, man, I beg, I say, come on, come with me. Let's go show the world God's love because he can meet anybody, whether it's a, a meathead in the gym or whether it's a, a nerd in an office or whether it's a guy that's just uh, all about sports and his whole world is absorbed in 60-minute uh, increments of people running around. It, it doesn't matter. Whatever place in there that you have like a, a, a love for, you can incorporate gospel living and then all of a sudden everything takes on deeper Meaning. Now, watch this. When, as Paul sort of shifts, he's going to talk about his prayer. He's going to talk about his prayer for them. And it is my prayer that your love, now look at this, this is so important, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He's talking about their love for God. Now, I thought that was interesting. He didn't say that it is my prayer that your faith may abound more and more, or it's my prayer that your, um, Good works may abound more and more, which all those things are great. He says, your love. Why is that? Because the most important thing about you is how you feel about God. And we're talking feelings now. Like, whoa, 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 F Chris, feelings? Well, I'm just saying, this is where from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to Matthew 22, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is first and foremost. And what can happen is we allow our, our shackling to circumstances to rip us apart from that love because we think that this life is all there is or we act like this life is all there is. But he says, like, I pray, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. Why? Because what happens was when you love somebody, you're going to learn more about them. Here, this is true. When I started dating Adrian, uh, I looked her up on Facebook, went through every single picture she ever had to kind of learn about who she was. I learned that she liked to running. I learned that she liked hanging out and doing fun things. I was like, okay, fun person. I'm a fun person. I like running. I'm going to go running with her. And so that's sort of what started and kindled relationship with her. And then over time, um, after we got married, especially, I learned discernment. You don't really know that so much when you first get married. Um, 
I think when we first got married, I thought she'd be totally into poetry and traveling. And so my job was like a traveling evangelist. I was like, you win. You're married to me. Pretty much what else do you want? Uh, and, but I found out she liked a routine. She liked the same group of friends to see all the time. And traveling was not, she did not like airports. I was like, who doesn't like airports? It's like the greatest. Uh, <clears throat> over time, though, I did learn what she, she liked. And so instead of uh, poetry and travel for Christmas, uh, I got her a DeWalt power tool. And you're like, you what? Listen, it was like the greatest. She uses it like all the time. She's like home project extraordinaire girl. She loves it. Now, uh, on her birthday this year, I got her, um, I know she likes dresses and she likes going uh, out for dinner for a date night. And so, and also flowers. Never understood flowers because they're like, they're plants that die like within a day or two, but whatever. We now, I now buy flowers because I know that she likes them because I've discerned that from her telling me. All right, so watch. Watch here's how this works. Um, so on uh, her birthday, I, we, I got the boys to get her a dress, and I said, listen, we're going to get a special dress for Mommy, and they helped pick it out. And when it came, they were so excited to see their Mommy, and I'll never forget uh, Adrian walking down the stairs and Jet looking up at her going, Mommy, you're so beautiful. And I was like, ba-boom. Like, that's, that's it. That's, that is how you can make someone, you can discern. When you love them, you want to learn about it, and then you discern what you should do. Look, so the same thing goes with God. If you know how to do that with a wife or a girl or a boyfriend, watch. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if you take that and you sort of orient it towards God, you get it. Because he's given us a whole bunch, like when we learn how much God loves us, then we get to go read all the text messages he's already sent. And all, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's the same God with a whole lot of text describing his character, describing his grace, describing his holiness, describing who he is and what he values. And that gets me excited because then I get to watch, I know, shocking, I, you get joy in prison. Paul had joy in prison because he was shackled to a partner and a gospel purpose he deeply loved because he learned more about God. He wanted them to learn more about God so they could discern what his will was. And they discerned it was time to take care of Paul, which is so powerful. They sent a love offering because it wasn't like you go to prison and the Roman government pays for your food and board. No, it was you were sponsored by other people. And you would think that that only happened, you know, 2,000 years ago as a church was starting. I mean, who has time for that now? Um, but I wanted you to see something that happened just recently at our church. Um, are, are you on Slack? Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about Slack? Slack is our communication tool where we get to know uh, people beyond just like surface level. And, and prayer requests and needs show up there. And you can talk to your community groups and find out announcements and find out all about the latest on Slack. And recently we had uh, this Slack message uh, from Herbert Aurora on May 11th. And this comes up frequently. It was in the prayer, daily prayer channel. Please pray for us. We got some bad news about our car. Going to need a new transmission. P please pray for financial blessing and direction on what to do. Look at this. Look at it. it. It's almost exactly word for word. I pray your love may abound more and more that you may have knowledge and discernment. You may know what to do. And so what they knew what to do was ask the church to pray. 
And then within about five minutes of seeing this, they got text messages and phone calls uh, from different people in their community group saying, hey, uh, I saw the message on Slack. I, of course, did my part by putting my prayer hands up here. Uh, but they got a phone call. They got a text saying, like, how much do you need? And they're like, we need $4,200. We can't possibly ask anybody for that amount of money. And their uh, community group shepherd, shepherd uh, uh, the Websters, their community group shepherds, they said, let us get together with our community group. And they got about 16 people in their group. And they came together and they rallied together and they prayed about it and they said, God, what should we do in this situation? We know your word. And your word says, if you have, those of you who have two cloaks, give one to the one in need. Now, your word says, take care of those who are struggling. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what your word says. And so they, they gave. And I was moved by that. Uh, and I go, well, because Herbert Roards, they texted me and said, hey, I just want you to know something unbelievable happened and our church is actually being the church. And I go, hey, did you by any chance write them a thank you note? And he goes, yeah. And I said, can I read it? Would you mind if I read that note? And they're like, no problem. And uh, I just want to read it to you because it, it just sort of gets at the heart when you help people and do what God's called you to do and united in gospel purpose. Listen to this. Um, Webster CG. I'm in total awe of how God works. And I, the thing that I love, it wasn't like, thank you, thank you, thank you for the money. It was, I'm in total awe. I'm in worship right now of how God puts people in your life to help guide you, grow you, and help you. Aurora and myself have never met a church or a group of people that are willing to do life with you, people who care about you, people who aren't afraid to get in the trenches with you. We don't have family here is what we always used to say. Well, that's not true. We have the greatest family could ever ask for. The genuineness and the love that you give us is beyond what we fathom. I guess that's how the love of God feels. Wow, thanks for showing us that. As we're fighting back tears to write this, this verse comes to mind. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6.2. To sum all this up, 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. <clears throat> and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We love every single one of you with all our hearts. We can never express how much this means to us. You have been the hands and feet of Jesus to us, and we are not alone. Heaven has blessed us with such an amazing family. We love you, Aurora, Ava, Herbert, and Dallas the dog. And that is what it looks like to partner and purpose in the gospel. And the only question I have then is, are you partnered in love for gospel purpose? This is the question. And maybe for some of you, you're like, Chris, I don't even know what you're talking about, gospel purpose. The fact is that Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he's coming back. That's the good news, that's the gospel. And that was a controversial statement back in Paul's time, the gospel. Because what you'd usually use the gospel is to herald the coming of the new emperor, the coming king. Hey, great news, you got a great king coming, it's going to be awesome. Which may have been true, or he could have been a crazy dictator, like Nero. Uh, but the reality was that was the excitement of the day and there was a better excitement that wasn't based on political party or people that were going to fulfill all your hopes and dreams, but rather there was a God of the universe who became our father, made his brothers and sisters, allowed us to partner with one another with a great, great purpose. And so um, this morning, my question for you 
if we can just get real heart to heart, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you understand the gospel? Do you believe? And listen, even Satan believes. But this is the baseline, is believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. But do you love? That's one thing Satan can't do. Even the demons believe right theology. They know it. They were there. They saw it. But they shudder at who God is because they don't love him. And so do you love this gospel purpose? And then that love for this gospel purpose helps you to love one another. So even in sorrowful times, even when the depression lingers just outside your heart and your head, you can combat it and push it back because you know you got people in the trenches with you. And if you've been a Christian for a while, my heart for you is you link arms with us, even if it's virtual. Link arms because the reality is we are brothers and sisters in Christ ready to go back against into the fight, into the fray, once more into the breach. Because our God goes before us and we follow him into the victory. And so this morning, are you alone or are you partnered? Do you have a gospel truth that will never die, a purpose that you could forever live for? And do you have that sort of love? Let's pray. God, thank you that you could do all these things. You could transform our hearts. You could take us from darkness to light. And God, I pray that somebody for the first time would say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Help me. Give me a new love. Give me a new heart. I want to love you with my whole heart. I don't want to turn away from you. I want to live out how I was designed to love and worship you. And I've been loving other things that give me temporary pleasures that sort of pass the time. And God, I need something more. I need the eternal. I need you. Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you rose. Holy Spirit, fill up my heart with that love for you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray somebody would pray that. I pray that uh, those who are Christians here would just link arms with us and they would wouldn't stay on the periphery and just sort of watch from afar that they would get engaged in community, even if it's just over a Zoom or Google Meet, it, whether it's uh, through our Slack channel where they're constantly connecting, that they would take a step closer to gospel orientation, to connectedness and deep love. You are God. Jesus, we need you. We need you to move in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, this time, um, we usually, when we're all gathered together, we have a time of response where you can take your darkness and your sin, your heartache, uh, to the Lord by taking it to other people. Well, if you want to email us at prayer at with whatever thing you're struggling with, we'd love to pray for you. But before we take communion together as a family of believers, um, would you just take a moment? We're going to put a black slide up, and you just pray and ask God um, to forgive you for any of the darkness you've been har harboring for any of the non-gospel partnership you've been partnering yourself to, or if you just shackled yourself to your circumstances and you feel far away, just say, God, I know you're here. Your promise, your word is true. And I want you to confess and repent. Prepare your heart for communion.